0: Welcome back to Why in the World, and to start with, a few thank yous. Thank you to you if you followed our Instagram account over the past couple of weeks at Why in the World Pod. If you've rated us on Apple Podcasts five stars, thank you to you as well, and a big thanks to you if you are just listening to this episode now. We greatly appreciate it. I hope you are all keeping safe and well through this strange old time. A note about this episode: of course, it was recorded before any of the current social distancing measures were in place. You are about to hear a conversation with ultra runner Rhys Jenkins. He's achieved so much over his ultra running career and last year became the first man to complete the Badwater 135 from the great country of Wales. He now turns his attention to building a legacy in the race, all while progressing forward with his own ultra running brand Pegasus. Rhys Jenkins is on Why in the World.
1: How are you mate? I'm good thank you, yeah, Yeah. not too bad, not too bad. Thank you for having me here. Oh thank you for coming down.
0: Cardiff on a Saturday morning, I actually did have a slight heart attack because as we're recording this it's beginning of March, Wales, England are playing this afternoon and I thought, oh god, I've organised to be in Cardiff on a Saturday morning when Wales are playing in the Principality but thankfully it's in
1: it would, today. it would be chaos. <laughs> it would be absolute chaos. You'd be stuck in traffic right now, <laughs> mate. How long have you been in Cardiff for, mate? Oh, I'm originally a lad, Yeah, so just outside of Cardiff and then didn't really want to move too far away from home. Mm. So living in Cardiff now for about three, four years, something like that. Let's jump straight into the passion, which is running.
0: To start with, like, how did this happen, this sort of love for endurance, how did it begin? It
1: started, it, it sounds so cliche really, but um, back in 2006... I went and worked at summer camp over in America who's in like Pennsylvania so Very it was nice. like really beautiful wooded if you think of like um, the Bartley Marathons and that sort of like terrain and beautiful wooded area and that's where we were set to and met a guy called Rusty Tolliver who is my best friend and he got me into running in terms of we get up every morning and run around the track for like half an hour and then eventually 40 minutes and then 50 and then 60. you like, oh, this is pretty cool. I'm enjoying it. It's beautiful. Like you'd even have like a deer run across it a couple of times because you're that far out in the wilderness. It was just, um, it got me into running. And what I saw from that was because I played football and rugby, it, that really benefited my performance in those sports. Mm. So I saw the benefit of doing that. And I just carried on doing it, signed up to my first half, signed up to my first marathon, which was in Las Vegas, which was pretty cool. Not bad first one to do. Uh, oh, no, it was amazing. There was, like bands on every corner. Oh, I see. So, like, you got that music going. But one thing I I just thought, oh, Vegas, it's going to be warm. But no, it was the December time, it's freezing cold, bitterly cold in the desert, as you imagine. <laughs> yeah. um, and it was just, uh, I remember just starting the race and like, oh my God, I'm freezing. And after two miles, I took the gloves off and I just like discarded them. And then, like, a mile later, I simply regretted that decision. And then the whole way around, it was freezing cold. But it was, um, that's when my marathon sort of kicked off. And then after that, I think 10 months later, something like that, we uh, agreed to run across America, mm. which was jumping in at the deep end, to say the yeah. least. Talk to me about that then and
0: where that sort of journey began. Why did you decide, you know what, let's just go and do this, this big challenge to get started, almost.
1: I know, to get started. That's a good point. (laughs) Um, Well, after doing the American trips and sort of working over and doing the running, I've had a love for that sort of country in terms of, like, the wilderness and everything. And then I just want... see You see, like, documentaries and you see people that are doing these amazing things like running across America. You're like, I wonder. I wonder if it's possible. I wonder how much it costs. I wonder whether this is actually kind of whilst I actually do this. And um, I messaged my best buddy, Rusty, who is at the time in Boston, and he's like, dude, literally, I've been thinking about doing the same thing, and the the topic was running across America in some sort of way, and it was just, we hadn't discussed it, we'd both been thinking about these two separate things, and then my brother, we were like, Scott, talked to Scott about it, and Scott was like, yes, this sounds amazing. I think we spent more time running it than we did planning it. This is how quickly... (laughs) that the whole thing kicked off and we ended up getting sponsored like by Puma they gave us loads of kit we were like oh my god this is amazing but we didn't know much about running although we'd run a marathon and a a half marathon In terms of kit, it was just like, put shorts on, put a t-shirt on and just wear the... Footy shorts, footy socks. Footy shorts, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wear the footy socks and they're warm.
0: You know you'd be nice and warm. Doing that as your first big kind of running adventure, and like you said, really, you'd only really done a half marathon and a marathon by that point. How does the body adapt to going then back to back for that many days? How many days
1: was it? 75 75 days, I think. Something like that. It doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I remember doing the first day, getting to like a half marathon and thinking, oh, this is all right, knackered though. And then finishing the day and doing a marathon. So the idea was to run a marathon every day and just keep on going until we make it. So the journey was from Boston to Austin, which is 2,000 miles. This was in 2010. So yeah, 2,000 miles, Boston to Austin. Started in Boston. And the end of that first day... I just remember literally just sitting down in a stand-up shower with my head between my um to my legs. It's like, oh my God, what the hell have I got myself into? Like my body was broken. I was, annoying. I was like, how the heck am I going to get up the next morning and do it? But what happened was, got up the next day, did it. Body broke even more, and that pattern continued for about six weeks. I'd say where the body was just breaking, you were getting injuries all over the shop: shin splints, uh, you know, bit of plantar on the bottom of your foot, aching back from being up on your feet for so long and after those six weeks it was almost an upturn or a trend uptrend or whatever you want to call it where the body started to get better and it was because it had broken so much it actually strengthened so it's almost gone through those six weeks of training Mm. to get the body ready to actually go on this journey it was just a case of well the body had improved but our mentality as well so we saw it more of not just a run it was our job to be out there eight hours a day we could break that down into like two hour segments and then you could have a break every two hours maybe have some food or lunchtime would come around you go and find the nearest subway or McDonald's our nutrition was terrible obviously. I mean genuinely horrendous we were buying microwave meals from like um, Walmart which is the equivalent of Asda over there and like the one dollar ones and you're just sticking them in the microwave in this like motel at the end of the night and you're just eating like four or five of them to get the calories back inside yourself we had no idea what we were doing but we were on a budget so we were just taking what we
0: could really Throughout that whole journey then, there must have been real high points and real low points. Was there anything that sticks out to you as being like a super, super high point?
1: Oh, right. I feel you going to ask me the low point then. No, will um, high first. <laughs> high point, high point, high point. No, just the whole adventure of it. So just being on the open road and not knowing where you're going to end up every day was quite exciting. i say a high point was running over um, the bridge into Manhattan, which is pretty special. That's cool. Yeah, I think at the time I'd lost the rest of the guys and I'd lost the crew. And I was just like, I was in New York City, I'm a Welsh guy, I didn't really know where the hell I was going, <laughs> but I was just like running across this bridge like just galloping along. It felt like I was galloping, I was definitely hobbling. <laughs> but it was just one of those things you're looking around and like, this is absolutely this is immense. And obviously it wasn't in the nature itself, but it was in the city, which to me mm. was also impressive. Um, another high point would have been actually finishing it. It was yeah. the last 30 miles was from Rusty's hometown to Austin. And on that segment for the whole day, there was people making their way to the finish line to see us. That's cool. But they're all driving along the road, so you're getting like hundreds of beeps, yells, this like loads of encouragement, and you are just like wow, these people have come out to see us finish. And crossing that finish line was just um, something that was very special, and it'll never leave my mind.
0: There seems to be two places that you're very passionate about and very affiliated with. Of course, the first is Wales, yes. and the second is
1: the states yeah why do you think those two places are so close to your heart wales and welsh have lived here all my life i'm extremely passionate about the land you get me involved with rugby i love rugby it's just case. it's a beautiful place and genuinely, i think it's one of the best places in the world to run i think we're blessed with like the mountains the valleys you got the rivers you got the coast and i think somebody told me recently where like the Welsh aren't great about shouting about themselves. You've got the Irish who are fantastic. They've got beautiful country. But the Welsh don't really go out and shout about it. So it's something that I want to do. I want to showcase Wales. And mm. I think part of that is through my running. And sort of going out running these things, organising the races as well, and getting people to come and visit the country. But with America, I just think it's the vastness of it. The fact that they've got everything. So they've got the, the, the world's hottest place, like Death Valley National Park. You've got... Oh, Literally, you've got the coastline down in Florida, you've got the mountains if you want to go snowing, you've got Colorado, you've got all these amazing places which to me are like quite magnets and with those places you've got these legendary races as well which over the years I've become quite passionate in wanting to achieve and and Mm. do these amazing races as well.
0: You mentioned bringing people to Wales to do races as well. Before we get on to the States, I want to touch on Pegasus quickly. Where was that born and why was it a thing that you decided that you wanted to do to bring um, races to Wales and more ultra races to Wales and kind of create this own little family that you've got going on at the moment.
1: No, I've, I've done my fair share of races in Wales and I think there's a lot of great race organisers that are showcasing in Wales and I just think there's some areas which weren't being showcased in a way where they needed like, people to actually see them and mm. to actually get to run a, along them. But in terms of Pegasus, it was a dream that's been in the pipeline for about three years, something like that And my wife and I were traveling across the top of Greece and we're driving through the Mount Olympus range. Yeah, yeah. So the idea was there in my head anyway, and it was just coming up with like a cool name which actually represented something to do with running or something to do with like mental strength or just physical strength. And you get going past Mount Olympus and as you do, you sort of pull over at the end of the night and you stay in a hotel, but I'm somebody that just goes on the phone and starts looking and researching the area that I'm in. Mm. And you've got like Zeus and you've got all these stories about Greek gods and it was just a case of, I came across Pegasus, and I that's quite a cool name. Actually, that's quite a strong symbol as well. That is quite, to me, something which represents running as well. So that's where the name was actually born to.
0: And how many races you got now? We've
1: got four currently live, but we got fifth, which is coming as well. Exciting. Yes.
0: And if people want to go and find how to enter, where can they go and enter some of these races? Yeah, we're
1: quite sociable. So you can find this on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and just look for Pegasus Ultra Running. And then the website is PegasusUltraRunning.com.
0: Let's talk about your highlights in running then to this point when we're sitting down here in March uh, (laughs) because I know there's a lot going on this year as well. Um, Let's talk about UK highlights and then we'll cross over the pond as well and go over there to talk about bad water and all fun things (laughs) like that. (laughs) This side of the pond, in terms of in the UK, you've done some brilliant races. Is there any that stick out to you or any that you hold really close to your heart?
1: Yeah, this. Oh, I'm gonna come back to Wales again. You're yeah, it's fine, now. man. It's fine. No, um,
0: I'm t- never sick of Wales. <laughs> you're yeah. learning
1: about me. Basically, I've organised two teams to go circumnavigate around Wales before, and we did a, a non-stop relay. Which getting to see run getting to see Wales at a runner's pace was really special. You mm. should just take it all in. Um, it'd be a case of though you'd work in like teams, so there'd be a team of nine of you, but you'd work in teams of three as a pod. So you cover three hours between you, and then you'd have like six hours off. whilst so the other six get to go at it. Yeah, that's cool. So we actually went around it anti-clock, yeah, anti-clockwise around Wales. We did that twice actually, back to back years. There is the canal races there, and they're something which is really uh, they open the door to actual racing for me over in the UK, and they are a case of free. 100 mile plus races, one of which is from Birmingham to London, the other one's from Bristol to London, and the third one is from Liverpool to Leeds. Uh, I don't know if any of you have sort of run along a canal before, but trying to run along that sort of gradient, which is just flat the whole way, is very difficult, shall we say. It's um, to keep the momentum going. The only bridges you get, are the, not the, the only gradient you get, or the incline or decline, is when you go over the bridges, mm. which is hard to keep going for that long, but it it's just special because you're in the rural areas, you're sort of going along this narrow path. It's almost like a tunnel in a way mm. because you're just surrounded by hedges on either side. You've got canal boats to the side of you. The night time is quite, um, it's difficult because it's just hard. You, you, you have those little, um, not tussets, but these like metal poles that poke out where the boat's moor into. Yeah, I know and amount The amount of times I've stubbed my toe or tripped over on those, I just don't, it's not worth me really discussing it. It's just um, quite difficult. But when the sun rises the next day and you get that hit of just like daylight and you know you've got through the worst part of the night time, it just gives you that extra level of energy to get to the finish line.
0: Mentally, though, mate, those races must be so difficult in terms of there's not much change. Like when you're running a race, sometimes if you're, you know, you've been on a canal for a little bit in some ultra races and you think, oh, do you know what I want now? I want a bit climb climbing. A bit of climbing would be nice. You don't get that for 135 miles, 145 miles in some of these races. That 100, must...
1: 153. If you get lost. 153. <laughs> so getting lost on the canal is an absolute nightmare. Because <laughs> if you miss your turning and yeah. you carry on down the wrong side of the part of the canal, and that ends, you have to, the only way you can get back. You're not going to go swimming through that. That's what I was just going to say. So you backtrack and go over the thing. I've done that many a time. Um, but yeah, it is a it is a mental game as well because you can keep moving. It's, but you're using that same muscle group, yeah. which is like it doesn't get any rest. So like you said, you, you, you really want something to go up or you want something to go down. So the bridges are quite nice in mm. a way. But when you're on that flat towpath, it is very difficult. But mentally, you just try to break it down. So the race organisers at Canal Race CIC, they're a fantastic group of people. It, it's quite a, it's a family feel to it. Okay, The race is a very, um, what should I say, it, it's good value for money as well. Literally, they're fantastic. And you go along to these races, and you just recognise it's the same people every year. So I've done it two years now. It's the same people every year at the checkpoints, and you just get to make friends with them as well. So you go and pass your sort of seeing your friends as you go and pass these checkpoints. But yeah, mentally you break it down into sort of segments. So Mm. they in their race briefing they break it down into like. Every three or four miles, where there's like an access for somebody to pop out and see you give some food, or there's a checkpoint in the next one. So you just go right from there to there to there to there to there to there to there, to there and you just build your way all the mm. way to London from Birmingham.
0: You've packed a hell of a lot into 10 years. Yes, yes. Which must feel crazy for you to just think about the amount of stuff you've done in 10 years from the Boston to Austin journey to this point, and obviously looking forward from here as well. What do your family and friends think about? like everything you've done to this point and like when you started doing it what was their sort of reaction to it
1: um when i started doing it i think it really worries in terms of like it's new to us all like mm. we've never seen you do anything like this what have you signed yourself up to to run 2000 miles across america like the marathon and the half marathon they sort of understood because it was organized it was there was nothing people do it was minimal risk wasn't it because you had other people around you whereas the 2000 mile run You've got a lot of elements. You've got a new, a new country. You've got the weather. You've got traffic. Because we weren't, some of the times we weren't on quiet roads. We were on quite fast moving roads and the traffic did come very close to you. I remember one time somebody, um, actually two times, one guy threw a bottle of water out at us. Not to us, at us. So he's driving down the road and no one like a bottle of water just comes flying straight. Like if it hit your head, it would probably knock you down on the floor. You know, something you didn't really want to get hit, hit by. But then another time, some guy drove past twice with a, um, a scream mask on. So from like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this was like one of those moments, you like know, the sun's going down, you know, like, what the hell? And you just, you just try to laugh it off because you don't want to worry yourself. Okay. No. Like, this guy's obviously having a joke at our expense, but... Yeah, please leave me alone now.
0: (laughs) Do you know um, who Jamie McDonald is? Adventure Man. Yes, yes, yes. So he's he's been on the podcast and he ran across the States and across Canada and he was telling a story about on one stint to the run, someone drove past him and they said, "Uh, are you going that way? And he was like, well, yeah, I'm running that way, so yeah. They were like, I just want to tell you there's a mountain lion just up there. And he was like, okay. And then he just drove off. Oh, no. It was just like, in that situation, what did you do? You're just like, do you stop? <laughs> uh, I, I guess I keep on
1: running. I suppose we uh, we didn't have the mountain line, but we had um, a, a local drove past us. He was driving the opposite way actually, and he was like, um, "You guys want to cross the road?" And we we're like, "Why?" He's like, "Oh, there's a massive elk up there." And we're like, "Well, they're friendly, aren't they?" Because we didn't meet them actually. He's like, "Oh, they can charge you quite easily, and they're, they're massive." We're like. Let's cross the road. Okay, let's So good. we crossed the road and we headed up this, thinking, oh yeah, we're fine, we're on the other side of the road. Obviously, naivety, we're like, "Yeah, there's no way the elk could cross the road. By the time we got there, the elk could cross the road. So it was on the same side of the road as us. And we're like looking at it and it wasn't too close, but it was close enough to... If it wanted to, it could have easily have just, like, charged yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. And we're just sort of tentatively trying not to move too sharply, but also hobbling along, carrying a lot of injuries, trying to get away from this elk without trying to startle it. But it was just... I remember being scared, but also I mean, in awe of it, because mm-hmm. they are massive, genuinely. Yeah. It was just... Um, You've seen some of
0: these videos of just them, like, walking across the highway, yeah. like, next to cars and stuff, and you're like, that is not a real-life
1: thing. Yes, exactly. And coming from Wales, you don't really get there's a like, big cows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's big cows. You don't get anything like that at all, do you? So it's just like it was crazy. You saw like a lot of snakes and spiders, and but um, you're talking about them, uh, what my family and friends think about you with the two thousand mile run. This is two thousand and ten, so technology started kicking off. But it wasn't. I think I was still on a BlackBerry. Ooh, old and school, it, yeah, old school, mate. Business phone, BBO. I was like 21 at the time, <laughs> so I was like, cool. But, are like, you trying to keep in touch via like Facebook, uh, text message, or I don't know if WhatsApp was out in 2010, so you didn't really have mm, that. I would have thought so. I remember I racked up a massive phone bill over there just from that time that I was trying to call home and keep in touch because they do naturally worry your family, mm. and obviously, they just care about you. But with your friends, that like, it was when Facebook was around as well and you'd have people commenting on, you'd put images up and they'd comment saying, well done, you're doing amazing. And just little things like that really go a long way to getting you to the finish line. Mm. And like they just um, with the stuff recently though, this you can see that it's actually taken a different... It's, our, our philosophy and our reason still there and it's we're doing it for charity and doing it for the adventure. They can see obviously we're doing more organised stuff now but it's becoming a little bit more extreme in terms of like Death Valley and things like that basically
0: Your body's probably not supposed to do this sort of stuff, is it?
1: Let's be honest It's probably
0: not What sort of preparation are you putting your body through to do
1: things like, let's touch on Death Valley? You do the running side of it, which everybody gets so that yeah, you got to run um, lots of miles, but my mindset with running lots of miles is they need to be good miles, so my training has changed over the, like, the last four years where I've started running off heart rate and doing it that approach but running off effort and making sure when I'm going out for a run I'm maybe not putting in too much effort but I'm logging quite a few hours on my feet and feeling quite fresh Mm. so then it allows me to actually do more and more miles every week and I'm not I'm doing more miles but actually the effort levels are probably less if that makes sense Mm. So I'm going at a slower pace and less heartbeats and so on and such with the heat side of it though um, Death Valley is like the hottest place on Earth. So I think it's recorded where if you go through... Furn- the, you go, there's a part in Death Valley where it's called Furnace Creek and it's where the hottest temperature on Earth has ever been recorded. And it's just like... The heat is just engulfing. It literally just... I don't know, it just makes your mouth dry out. Straight. It's just dry heat, it's not humid at all. So it's just, it just feels like you're in an oven somebody putting a hairdryer in your face. And to train for that, I literally just live in sauna for about... Four or five times a week, and that can be up to about an hour at a time. So you just stay, in, and the idea is you don't get out. So you take everything you need in with you into the sauna, and then once that runs out, then it's just a case of how long do you want to last in the sauna? And usually, I take in like a big five liter of Tesco water. I'm giving Tesco a massive yeah, shout out. A big you. shout out to Tesco. <laughs> Maybe it can spot every yeah. little health. Hashtag sponsors.
0: <laughs> um
1: and you're taking i like, missed that joke then
0: i just got, you it. got yeah. it thanks man i, I was laughing yeah. my <laughs> um
1: but no you take stuff in with you so you're taking the water you're taking the electrolytes stuff which you're going to be using over there to get your body used to processing it in that heap and something that i did last year was um, i actually started eating in the sauna so taking sandwiches in to which if you were somebody sitting in the sauna and some guy just walks up with <laughs> a a, BLT, a picnic, <laughs> and a BLT. You're like, what the heck are you doing? And then you explain, and then they're like, oh wow, that's quite a, yeah, that's an interesting way to yeah. actually put the body through training. And like, you'd use other things like, um, and new I've got a neoprene wetsuit, something you'd use when you're swimming in like open water, and I put that on, and I'll go and sit in the sauna, and you just add. So when you first start off, you just start off by sitting there and then after a while you just start adding things to make it more difficult. So you could put a, one of those, I think they're called elevation masks, they look like the bane mask that yeah. you put it on, so then that obviously restricts your breathing a little bit, so then you get used to the way it will be over there. Don't get me wrong, when you're over there, it, take, it may take a while, but you, you do get used to it. So after a few hours, you become used to it, okay? So you just want to prepare your body for that initial shock when you actually step out of the car, because... You don't have a door you can walk out of in Death Valley. You're there. You're there for 135 miles. You're there for 270 miles. It's it's just you need to... When that urge is there that you want to get out of the heat... We have a support vehicle. You can get in a support vehicle. But they may not necessarily be right next to you. And you don't want the body to go into panic if they are half a mile away. You need to just be able to relax. When that urge is there to, let's say, step out of the sauna at 60 minutes, I will just sit down in the sauna and just try not to move for another two minutes until... I'm relaxed and then I'll just step up. Is that a mental thing? Yeah, it's definitely a mental thing for me. It just helps me if that scenario does play out. I know that I can just sort of just relax, just go through the processes.
0: Let's just recap for anyone that doesn't know. In 2019, you became the first Welshman to finish the Badwater 135 mile race. The most famous foot race or one of the most famous foot races on planet Earth. And arguably the most difficult arguably Arguably. arguably. I think I I haven't done it so I definitely (laughs) (laughs) could definitely the most uh
1: Uh, to me it's the yeah it's the pinnacle the vulture and that's been a 10-year dream
0: first I wanted to ask you can you remember the first time that you found out about this race
1: yeah (laughs) it was whilst we were doing the 2000 mile run across America because we didn't have much to do every night you're with the same five people so there's three runners and a two support crew John and Adam who were fantastic really good friends of mine but after a while you just like you don't get sick of each other's company but you don't have much to talk about you, just, I don't know, you spend a lot of time I don't know, reading articles and yeah. stuff and I just came across an article online about these crazy people that were running. You're one of them now. I'm one of them now <laughs> it's taken me 10 years but <laughs> I got there that did this thing which I thought was wasn't possible Then when I think it's not possible, it makes me want to do it that bit more. So that's where I first came into the whole Bagwater, I guess, family experience. And
0: now being a finisher, last year crossing that finish line and becoming the first Welsh person ever to do so, that must have been a very special feeling and also like the accumulation of a a whole 10-year journey.
1: Yeah, it was... um... It was a mixed bag of emotion, really, because you you get to Lone Pine, which is 13 miles away from the finish line, and you can see the finish line because it's 13 miles up the side of a mountain, so you've got to go 13 miles up this hill. So you're not going at a fast pace. You're going at a a steady hike, shall we say, because it is very bloody high. And you're going up it, and you've got... Because you're not going so fast, you've got a lot of time to think. And to me, I was just thinking about... Because i have been over there previously to run the route and get used to it. i have been up this stretch before. And I just sort of start reminiscing about those four years previously where I've come over each year to like what the motions I was going through versus what I was going through now. And it just felt like a build-up of like, all those four years coming into this one moment. So mm. 13 um, 13 miles at this line. And about two miles away from the finish line, you start going through these switchbacks. And if you look back on yourself, you can see into Death Valley. And I remember just turning around and just thinking the amount of times I spent coming across here just for this moment now. Because the other times, they were fantastic. They were crossings of doing the Badwater route, but it was never the race. So to me, I went across that five time, four times to get that fifth crossing, if that makes sense.
0: To get that moment.
1: And it was bittersweet because it was amazing to be coming to the end, but I didn't want it to end. I wanted that to keep on going and going and going. And then about a mile away from the finish line, the support crew allowed to come down and then you will walk in together. So you've got my brother, John, who's like the best buddy of mine. You've got Stu's, my sportsman, Stu's. So you got my coach, who's Lawrence. And you're just all there together, embracing one another, walking up thinking, yes, we've got this. There's no question about it, you are done. When you're on the switchback, you are pretty much done. You can get there like hook or crook. And you start thinking about the people that are with you, but then the people who aren't with you and the people that have been there with you the four or five previous times coming across their family. Mm. So like my dad, my brother's wife. You got good friends that have come out to like crew, like Jake. You got Chris. These amazing people, um, and you're just thinking, wow. And then you think about the people back home in Wales, because we were getting social media updates of people dot what they weren't dot watching because you can do it, but they were getting updates from like my brother telling and where we were too. And it's just it just felt like everybody was just there with you, mm-hmm. although there's only five of you. It felt like there was a massive energy going on and it got to the line there's, um, yeah I had glasses on I was crying underneath the glasses but not people will know that they do now <laughs> <laughs> yes now they do the, the photo almost is
0: kind of the depiction of what you just described because you've got the Welsh flag behind you and you've got your head down and it's kind <laughs> of just like you can tell that it's just that enormous release of the years and years that you've put into that one moment when you finished it the moments afterwards i'm sure were pure elation but the weeks and months after must have been quite difficult to kind of deal with the fact that you've put in 10 years of your life into this one moment and this one moment is kind of done now
1: 100% those um <laughs> well not, me- not necessarily straight after because you we went to vegas and you had a few drinks and <laughs> And then not necessarily when we got back home because I got home and like three days later, I had to run from Bristol to London, so 145 miles. So my body went through hell of a lot in like two weeks. Mm. So I really broke my body in that time. But after that, it was just a case of what's next. You're thinking like, the journey's ended in a way because you know you've achieved that dream. But then you start think, changing your, as in the way you think in a way, because it's not, for me, it, it wasn't just to do it once, it was to do it as many times as possible. So the one crossing is amazing, but I want to do that as many times as you I can. possibly can in my life. And it's just a case of I'm going to build a legacy in that particular race, because I love that area of the world. I love the race itself to me like i said it's the pinnacle of mm. ultra running but you do come down you have that lull moment where you try like because you don't have to spend all this time in the sauna you don't have to go to the gym as much you don't have to be running endless miles each day so you have a lot of time to think and process and you i signed up to a couple of other races which i always wanted to do and i wondered whether i could achieve it but matter of fact i'd probably burn myself out in doing bad water and this race immediately straight after it was a bit it wasn't suicidal in an approach it was just a case of it was a bit too much in that small time. Do you think it gets addictive? Yes 100% but I think something which does help with that addiction is plotting out your year so not signing up to races on, on the whim, off the whim, on the whim, I don't know what the term is. Um, it's a case of yeah pick three or four races that you want to achieve throughout calendar year and stick to it. Because you you should have your A, your B, your C and your D races that you want to achieve. And to me, Badwater was my A, but then I tried putting other races in afterwards, which physically were probably, well, one of them was a 250 mile race the length of Wales, which was self-supported. And I ended up DNFing on that because my body just wasn't, well, it, it was weird. I had the energy levels. But my feet fell apart. And I just wonder if I'd caused some sort of damage from doing those endless miles in the summer. And my feet were in absolute stitches. They were, yeah, it was ridiculous. Mm. You got quite a
0: lot of attention when you came home from Badwater. How did you deal with that side of things? Because obviously, Badwater's for you, right? Mm-hmm. You wanted to do Badwater because it was your dream. And all these people are interested about you doing Badwater. Yeah. Is that a
1: bit weird? Um, it is, yeah. When you put it like that, it is a bit weird. But then I have this passion about bad water is a as a whole i don't know it's a way of life in a way and that's that may sound sad but i'll explain it to you it's a case of it's the what you do so you're running but then obviously what else you do in your life so pegasus that's a massive part of it as well but in terms of like people taking an interest in it i do love it because i love talking about it mm. so i love promoting it in a way as well i'm telling people about this amazing race which is over there so if anyone wants to listen to me i will talk all day about it it's just something which i love talking about and it lets you reminisce about the you get those emotions of when you're actually over there doing it as well and i was speaking to somebody recently about um music and you know like when you get a runner's high and so do you listen to music when you run sometimes sometimes okay so i listen to music quite a lot and um when you're running and you've got a certain tune playing and you, you get a runner's high, and you've got this music playing in your ears, you, you feel great, you feel like you can kill every mile, you're just nailing it. But then I get the flip side of it as well. So when I come back to everyday life, should we say, and I'm driving in the car, and that music comes on, that music reminds me of a runner's high.
0: Right, okay. Yeah, so got you get you. that
1: reverse effect as well, and that's something which I really do love, and I was actually speaking to somebody about it recently, and we had a good discussion.
0: It's like that connecting, connecting. back to, what you were doing and the emotions as well Mm. yeah and I suppose how a song can remind you of a certain place oh yeah
1: mate Greatest Showman soundtrack (laughs) that was the last thing I was going to think I absolutely love it that got played on repeat as we were going through Death Valley last year And
0: I know it would. Oh, words. mate, that is class! I was not expecting you to say the greatest show. I thought you were going to go to like old school rock or something like no, that. Like. Hugh
1: Jackman, Zach Efron, fantastic.
0: Get me my lycra and cane right now.
1: Put my sun cream on.
0: Let's uh, just cover the bad water from last year um, and have a little talk about some of the ups and downs of that 135 mile journey. Because of course there was ups and downs <laughs> throughout 135 miles. Yeah. Um, what are the what are the moments you can pick out where you were super, super high and the moments where you in fact thought that maybe this uh, this wasn't going to get done for another year?
1: No, no. Um, yeah, I'll probably go through it chronologically, so yeah, the way mate. it plays out. And it's a case of, um, before we even made it to the race, so we, we registered, I picked up my pack, I picked up everything. And... Then we, you do that the day before the race, and then you spend the time in between that, resting, eating, just doing whatever, and we spent the whole day in a hotel just trying to stay in air con, you know, you just want to relax.
0: (laughs) You're going to be hot for quite a while. Exactly,
1: but we were about a 45-minute journey away from the start line, and we thought we'd left with plenty of time, and I think it was when England would play New Zealand in the cricket, and I think England ended up winning, and we were coming to a point in the road where we knew there was no signal after and my brother and the other guys are. Like, oh, we want to know what happens. So we're like, oh, we got plenty of time. We'll just wait. And then it went into like some super over or something like that. And we waited like ten or fifteen minutes. Like we're gonna to have to get going here, lads. So my starting wave was like eight pm, and we got you supposed to be there at seven thirty latest, and we got there at seven thirty on the dot. And you could genuinely see they were worried that number eleven, which was me, wasn't going to show. But I got there. and They're like, where the heck have you been? They were polite, but you could see the panic in their eyes. They're like, oh, my God, this guy. Why would you leave it so soon to start? And this? like, this is your, your pinnacle. And I was like, it was a needed stress, which I needed at the moment. Because I just wanted to be, like, complete zen and just be relaxed. I was, like, stressing get, yeah. get, get, without speeding and getting a ticket, you know. And then we got there, and it was just, uh, they weighed you. And then you're about to start, and you've got this wave of people. And it's just, like, everything you've seen... From the history and reading through the race, you're living it, mm. to which is very weird. And you sort of set off from this uh wooden dock in the middle of Badwater Basin, which is like a really low point. Um in fact it's like 282 foot below sea level, and some sadistic persons stuck aside <laughs> 282 foot up the side of the mountain to remind you where the sea level is. You're like, wow, I'm constantly running up Thanks for that. Thanks for that, mate. And you start off, and I think one of the most difficult parts of it is the initial start because you start in three waves and I was in the first wave and you've got about 30-35 people in each wave and it's a narrow uh, road Okay, so you've only got one lane on either side and you've got cars still moving you've got loads of support vehicles you've got runners but because you're all still trying to find your pace you're trying to find your spot in the race if that makes sense mm. so you're overtaken you're getting overtaken and that takes about five or six miles for that to sort of just plateau and level out so you've got that constant movement but then when you see your support crew for the first time, it's like um, uh, it's like when kids come out of school and they're looking for their parents, and it's like, <laughs> where are they? Where are the kids? Where are the adults? It's like that, genuinely. Like, Where's my runner? Because everybody's got the same sort of stuff on. Every car looks the same, so it's hard. And it starts at night time, so you don't have the blessing of daylight to help you spot your friends. So you have like weird ways for them to spot you, so like different lights or different head um, lamps and stuff like that, and then they can spot you out from the crowds. Something which caught me off guard, which started playing with my mind straight away, and it's something which um, a lot of people are like, you know, like, wow, yeah. Um, it's the blinky lights. So every runner has to have blinky lights all over them, okay, just for health and safety reasons, and every support crew has their blinkers on because they're pulled over at the sides of the roads. they want traffic. So you imagine it's a massive um, hit to the senses when you've got all these lights going off and they run through all the night. So You start at 8pm at night and they don't stop till about 6am. So what's that, 10 hours? Yeah. Of these d- just lights buzzing around your eyes and messing with your senses and it ends up giving me a headache really. And not, nothing serious, but it's something which caught me off guard. I hadn't really...
0: Because you, you hadn't prepared for it. I hadn't prepared for mm. that
1: aspect of it. So it's something I will change this year. Um, <laughs> sitting in a sauna with flashing lights. Yeah, we'll just get somebody to put a torch like in, on and off in front of my face. <laughs> Um, the first section went okay. It's about 18 miles and it's from Badwater Basin to Furnace Creek. And the idea was to just give my body loads of salt, loads of water and just try and stave off cramps because it's still bloody hot at night time as well. And got to the first checkpoint and they were like, you right? I was like, yeah. They are like, um, you're putting on a bit of weight basically, because i have been drinking so much and taking on so much salt, I started to get a bit of a pot belly from where the fluid was sitting. They were like, we're going to stop the salt for a bit. You're just going to have water for this next section, which is like 25 miles. And that section, for me, so it's not notorious in the race, but for me, it's a notorious section. So from previous years where I've really had bad cramps, I've had cramps to a point in previous years where it's knocked me complete out. out. And I've woke up thinking I was about to play football. And then I've realised... I'm not, where's the football? And then you realize you're not on grass, you're on a desert, and you're actually only like 30, 40 miles yeah, in the 100 feet. Wow. It was one of those moments in your life yeah, where yeah. it gradually gets worse and worse and worse. But that section in the race went perfectly fine for me. We slowed down my heart rate, and then we got to an area just outside uh, the next town, which is still Wells. And that is where, because you have three starting waves, you get um, all the runners, they start. Uh, ascending on this one area because they start catching you because mm. so I started in a slower wave you've got these faster runners coming through and you've got loads of build-up runners and loads of support vehicles and I needed the toilet and what we did um, I had the option you don't have many toilets on the route and I had the option of either going in this little hut which is at some sand dunes before the town or waiting for the town I was like I'll go in the hut because I think the town, will be, the town is tiny there won't be many toilets there anyway and that's where all the runners will go Settled down, sat down on the toilet, had my headlamp on, because it was about five in the morning, something like that. And this bloody thing, like, ran across my feet. I hate creepy crawlies, and I quickly turned, like, the, the flashlight, not flashlight, headlamp, and his bloody scorpion had ran across my feet. Oh, foot, no! which I was quickly sharpish out of there straight away. What was going on? I was getting away from that thing, because, yeah, it just wasn't for me. It'd obviously been hiding in there and whatnot. And I just said, screw this. Uh, oh, now.
0: imagine your race gets done because of that.
1: <laughs> You have a heart attack from a scorpion. Stunned by a scorpion. (laughs) Um, And we, that was fine. After that, dealt with it and just carried on. And then you hit this area which is called Towns Pass. and It's from Stove Pike. whilst the Towns Pass and it's about 16 miles uphill. Relentless, relentless. And you can see where you've got to go and it's just like really, that for me was a difficult part of the race because the heat starts coming up, the sun comes up at that time of the race and it just starts baking you straight away. And you're going up this climb and halfway up the climb about 50 miles into the 135 mile race is the first uh, time station which you've got to get past so this is why there's a huge uh, cluster of people now because everybody's rushing to get past there at the check um, within the cutoff time and mm. i think i got past it in about i had about an hour and a half to spare two hours to spare something like that but that effort of going up that hill really did pay its toll and i won eating i'd been more concentrating on getting to that point point. I was drinking fluid, but not taking on calories and my body started to bonk. So I got past the time station, I just sat down in the chair and took a moment Boys, the boy was looking after me. they right, let's go. And then you've still got six miles to go from the time station to the top of the climb. So you, you've got to keep on going basically. And I remember getting to the top of the climb and I was just absolutely broken. I was just knackered. I wasn't being able to, I'd gone past the point of like, I wasn't hungry. So I wasn't wanting to eat food at that point. I would neglected it for so long that my body was just like, no, we can't take anything. I was eating like uh, watermelon stuff, which is great because it's full of like fluid and electrolytes, but it's nothing substantial. Yeah, there's no
0: calories in it. No.
1: And there's a section then, you get to the top of this mountain and you drop down into the valley. And it's a case of, I've run that section fast before I knew I could run it. And I knew things were really bad because I couldn't run. I was going downhill and I just couldn't run. I was being able to put in like 100 yards and I'd have to stop, 100 yards, have to stop. And my body was just breaking and it got to the bottom of this climb. And I don't know if you've seen the photo of the famous, it's just like a solo runner running across the Death Valley desert. Yeah. And due to the times and the location, it's actually the hottest part of the race. It's where the sun's at, it's peak, and it's just horrendous. You got dust kicking up, you got headwinds. It's really a battering down there. And the guys pulled me over the side of the road, and my coach was just like, if you don't start eating out, your race is going to be over, because you are literally white as a sheet, you have nothing in you, you are literally this 10-year dream, or however long it's been, mate, we're going to have to pull you up, because you're in that bad the state. And to me, I was just like, I took, I was tired, and I took it as quite offensive, I was like, what? how dare you tell me that, I didn't say this to him, but inside I'm thinking, how dare you say this mm. to me, it should be my decision if I pull out of a race, And what they did, they let me just go off for the next two, one or two months by myself to just sort of wobble my head and get everything out. And then I was joined by Lawrence. They were like, right, well, if you're not going to eat, we're just going to wrap you up. So they put this thing called a cooling blanket over me. And it's like really amazing, like genuinely dipping water and you try breaking it. And, And they wrapped me up and it was just like... I'm going across the hottest part of the race. They'd actually managed to protect me from the sun in a way because it was still boiling hot, but I managed to keep it off because I was literally head to toe in this bloody blanket thing. Got across the valley and um, they tra- <laughs> we got to another town. So it's like the second or third town on the route. And this is an option where you can have food. And they bought me like a massive cheeseburger. I love burgers. My nickname growing up was Burger Boy, genuinely. <laughs> and I'm like, usually you give it to me and it's gone within seconds. And... That was probably the most difficult burger I've eaten in my life. They were like, eat it. You have to eat something. And I started eating it. It was just like, you know, chewing really. It was difficult to go down. But I ended up getting down a lot of that. And then they sorted out my legs. So in this town as well, they have the op- They have a foot clinic. So they have like a makeshift foot clinic for people that are running bad weight. So if you're in that bad of they'll fix your feet for you. But I didn't need it. that. I was all right. So after that point, you've gone across the valley floor and then you start going up again. And it's a nine mile climb, but it's called Father Currie Point. It's very bloody steep, but it's such an interesting part of the route because that's where the jet fighters, um, they do a lot of training over right, there. Okay. So they shoot up into the end and they drop down to this valley. And they they are so loud, so you can hear them. You just hear them, it's like a roaring sensation. And you can feel it, but you can't see them because the valley is that big. They just look like another car moving across the valley floor. It's just incredible. But going up that climb is where I got my running mojo back in the way. It was a case of, I was—I think my brother was with me at the time because he allowed paces at, from about 40 miles in. This is about 75 in. And he um, paced me up this uh, father of point. Jenny, point. I was running sections up this hill. I was literally back in the game. I was enjoying it again. I'd gone past the hot part of the race. I knew I'd tucked away the, the heat exhaustion. I, I think I'd, I knew that I'd... One layer of worry had been lifted off my shoulders in a way mm. and I just started letting go. Just started to go running uphill and not a lot of people would run up that hill but I got to the top and I was just like, right, the momentum's still there, let's just keep on going, keep on going. And we persevered with that until Darwin, which is like 90 miles in. Darwin is a fantastic town. So you go on YouTube and type in Darwin Death Alley, there's a documentary and it's about the people that live there. Not many people live there, okay. It's um, It's pretty much a ghost town. And I've driven down there before, and in the local shop, they've still got like cutouts of Marilyn Monroe and Elvis Presley. That's cool. It's really cool. That's cool. It's really cool. On the sign, it says, like, no signal, no Wi-Fi, no hope, or something like that. It's just like, they don't want people coming down there, which I get. It's their private place to live. Um, But from 90 miles of Darwin checkpoint to the end now, so you've got 45 miles left, you can see the finish line because that's how far out you are and that's how high up you are because you drop down for the final bit and then you start plateauing and then you go up again and you can see all these because um, the sun had gone again it was dark and night time you can see all these lights <clears throat> along the roads and it was crazy how still there was loads of runners still out there but you can see this whole light it was like christmas tree lights leading all the way to the top of oh. um, the finish line and you can see people turning the corner and that was then done you think that's people amazing, achieving their dream. It was quite inspirational, but then it was also quite... It's a slap in the face. You're like, oh, my God, I've still got, what, 45 miles to go? 35 miles to go? 25 miles to go? And with 25 miles to go, that's when the wheels fell off a lot for everybody. So you could just see it in the crew. You could see it in me, me and Lawrence, another chap, my coach, who was uh, pacing me at the time. We were sort of going down the road, and... We're Looking ahead, and there's this like it, it was like a dancing car, it was just like it was dancing across the road. And we're like, I said, Can you see that? And he was like, Yeah, I'm, like, I'm obviously not hallucinating, and that whatever that is is there. And um, it transpired, it took us about three miles to get to it. But it two cars had parked next to one another, but they'd set their blinky lights, their hazard lights off at different times, so it looked like the car was actually jumping, but it wasn't, so it was that was messing with your head. at that point. We we're like, we need to take a bit of a nap so um the guys made me like a makeshift pillow out of a shoe box actually no it was one of these boxes actually (laughs) this was the actual box that I put my head on to um (laughs) that's weird that I've got that sitting next to me um and yeah I felt like an amazing pillow at the time passed out straight away woke up in a massive panic like oh my god I've been sleeping for hours I've maybe timed out of this race why didn't you guys wake me up got out the car and just started running and actually we'd agreed to sleep for half an hour and i'd only been sleeping for 10 minutes and i got up and cut the snap short without realizing it was just out of sheer panic i just started legging it down the road and they caught up and they like what we were you about to have a sleep and then you just got up straight away and carried on and um, you're an idiot <laughs> i was like yeah i, I thought i'd been sleeping for hours which I guess was a good thing but yeah, definitely. at that moment it was quite horrifying because I thought I'd timed out of the race anyway from that section I was from about 25 miles out again you can just see the finish line you get to the final checkpoint or second to last checkpoint at Lone Pine where you start to realise that it's it's within touch and distance you know unless something really bad happens now you, you can achieve it. I don't think anyone's ever not finished a, a Lone Pine to Mount Whitney Pauls which is the finish line. I don't think anyone's DNF'd on that section. Mm -hmm. So it's 13 miles, it's a tough 13 miles, but I think it's that build-up of all that effort, which kicks you up that last 13 miles, because you know you've just done with it completely. You go up this mountain, you're joined by your crew, you turn the corner, and you look behind you, you see the desert, you see the heat still, you can see it just messing with the air, it's so hot out there, because you're quite high up, it's quite chilled now, it's lovely conditions. And you turn the corner, so you say goodbye to all this desert. And it's a beautiful oasis. It's just um, Mount Whitney Ports. It's like forestry, running rivers. You've got like a little pond. It's just a um, beautiful little campsite. And you're like, to me, it's one of the most peaceful places on Earth. And I genuinely think that's because of bad water, but also the location in itself. Because you've gone through this, I think it took me 40, over 40 hours to do it last year. You've gone through 40 hours of this ordeal. And then you've just achieved this amazing dream in this beautiful area. And I just remember sitting at the finish line feeling really... Or just, yeah, just complete zen. It's like, wow, that's... Yeah, I've accomplished it. Complete. You're going back. Yes. You're going back. I am going back, yeah.
0: The video of you sitting on your sofa, that sofa, when you got in, was a video that there was some obvious excitement Yes, like, yes. Yes, come on. I was watching the live stream and um he drags out the start of it didn't he? Man. I was like come on, get, get to it. I was like oh my god. I was making myself some mashed potato <laughs> at the time.
1: I was like come on, <laughs> come on. It's, it's to me though it's part of the, it's part of the experience. Yeah, definitely. It
0: definitely is. Cuz
1: it builds it up for me in a way like oh my god. Well, yes, yes. But then he's he's having useful things as well stuff which you need to know if you need no. that in. And to me, I'm just like listening, to it and it's like, oh. When, when do I mean, on? he drags it out
0: in the best way, but he knows he knows how to hold the crowd, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. He's Fantastic
1: what he does with that. It's just um, I I enjoy it, but hate it at the same yeah. time because I'm just like waiting, like waiting on hooks And the application process—I think you get two weeks to do it. And me and Karis, my wife, we genuinely, she supports me so much with these things. She helps me put the application together, and it's not just about running like I touched upon earlier. It's about you as a whole. So everything else you do, so the charity work, the running side of it, what bad water means to you. And I think the best way to do the best, uh, the, the application is like, don't rush it. Literally just do yourself justice, basically, mm-hmm. in what you've achieved and what you want to achieve and what the ba- race means to you. So that take sometimes people like put it in straight away, but I take quite a lot of time to do it, change it, do it, change it. Karis comes along with grammar police and like, it's like, let's change this grammar a little bit because you're, you're not the best at that. <laughs> and then you send it off and then two weeks later the, the, the panel have decided and then if you've got in you've got in and
0: did you get that excited feeling in your tummy
1: oh mate I literally so for the 2019 race when I got in I was like completely shocked and I thought oh nothing's going to make me feel like that again completely the same thing again mm. I I love the race I love the whole experience of it um, I always want to do it it's something that I just want to achieve now but i never think that i'll get in it's, it's like there's so many amazing people out there it's like have i really got a chance of getting in i don't know but i'll put the application in and then it's just like your name's in the lottery you've got a chance of getting in it's still cool to watch it you've had part of the experience but when you get in it's just like a mixed bag of emotions and an issue with the video which Karis was filming it was just um yeah, that video was a lot longer because you've been there like that for ages because you got, you got to listen out for 100 people. I think I was in like the top 30 or yeah, something. Yeah, you was, were quite
0: quick, quite I was
1: quick. quite quick, whereas last year, I think it was about... I was around 80, so I was like taking away going, oh my God, I'm going to go away, have to run other races and improve myself. He opposed. was saying
0: as well, wasn't he, not as many people that have done it before, not many veterans are coming back this year. So I was like, oh, I, I bet you were feeling it then.
1: Yeah, so the, I think the race... So the application, if you've done the work for it, it's, it's quite straightforward. It's just you need to do yourself justice in bringing it across. It's the case of, though, um, now I think the veterans split is like 25 veterans. So you have have 100 people in the race total. 25 of those are veterans, which is what I'm classed as now. First time I've ever been called veterans. That's veteran. sick. That's cool. Um, I think it's like 65 go to rookies. And then you have a number of other spaces which go to... Um, automatic qualifiers and director picks and stuff like that so the chances of getting in were really reduced again if you were going to give somebody
0: that's listening to this now and they're thinking you know i want to make maybe adventure or make running a bigger part of my life or i just want to get my trainers on and go out and do my first 5k even Mm -hmm. what sort of advice would you give to them
1: um little and often so, not buy off more than you can chew, build yourself up, your tolerance, if you want to go from a 5K to a 10K to a, an ultra marathon. And don't compare yourself to other people, because everybody's bodies are different, everybody's uh, tolerance is different. Um, it's a case of, y- you need to go out there and build your own way in running, and find your own path. I know that sounds really cliche in a way, something which i genuinely believe in i think if you, when you start comparing yourself to other people that's when i've really like it hasn't helped me at all you need to focus on yourself when you're running and what your strengths are what your weaknesses are you may be great at going uphill but going downhill is something which you don't like doing because you've got painful knees or something you know and one thing which i wish i started doing sooner is recovery so like i mean stretching doing yoga and taking the right supplements and that's not like protein and that that's um, gains yeah gains um it's uh, like salmon oil it's uh, zinc it's stuff which helps regenerate the muscles and it sort of replenishes the stuff going through your body That's something which um, the aftercare i think that's the right term
0: and what are your personal goals my personal goals yeah. this year what you want to do obviously you want to get bad water done again you want to get the ultra cup done is there is there anything else you want to do, and maybe looking forward to the next five years as well? Yeah. Is there anything in your head that you're like, mm, yeah, fancy that?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of things actually. So I want to, um, I want to build a streak in Badwater. So you say the next five years, I want to be there every year. Uh, if I can get in the race, I'll be there every year. But it's depending on obviously forces outside my making. I DNF'd on that long last race, which is the length of Wales, which I touched upon earlier. And that's only every two two years. So I've got to wait till next year to get another crack at it. So that will be my focus in 2021, as well as Badwater135. That will be um, something which is unfinished business there, should we say. It's uh, 250 miles north to south Wales, something I really want to do. And then there's other things as well in the pipeline. So we did 2,000 miles across America, yeah. Boston to Austin. Amazing. But it wasn't across America, and there's something which, I don't know, just keeps popping up, whether it's like New York to LA, or whether it's even Canada, there's something which, I don't know, there's, again, unfinished business, a a seed has been planted, and it needs focus, it's something which, it may not be in the next five years, but it's something which will happen.
0: There's no better business than unfinished business, mate. Because it makes you do
1: stuff. And I'm lucky enough to be a a master for a cystic fibrosis charity, CF Warriors. All my sort of running and exploits go into fundraising for that and building awareness. So my good buddy Josh does some crazy stuff himself. I think we ran from London to Cardiff this year together. Um, So no doubt he'll drag me into something which, actually, yes, there's something massive gonna happen. And it would be next year again if it does happen. And it, it'd be completely um, unexpected. Put it that way. It's crazy. I like a it little bit. It scares me. It scares me massively. Oh. Yes. It scares you. It scares me massively.
0: Something scares- to do with scorpions. No, I'm
1: joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, hard work. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yes. Well, oh, you'll be the first to know as, soon as Talk we about a maybe.
0: cliffhanger. I know. Talk about a cliffhanger. About, uh, right. Uh, Let's leave it there. Um, You're a legend. Thank thank,
1: you, Reese. Thank
0: you for having me, mate. A massive thank you to Reese. And if you want to find out a little bit more about his own brand, Pegasus, you can do that. The link. The website is in the description box of this podcast. Thank you, Therese, for coming on. And fingers crossed Badwater does go ahead this year. At the time we release this episode, it is currently still on. I hope you keep safe and well over the next couple of weeks, and we'll catch you then with another brand new episode.